Alright, um, welcome to the Shoe Podcast. I am your host, Shoe. Um, just sitting here saying something because that's what you do on a podcast. Um, I'm really nervous. I'm slightly horny and really nervous. The anxiety is that I'm, my palms are sweaty and my, my balls are... It, you know how when you go outside and it's, it's because it's so cold, it's snowing and your balls just fuck, it's like a cocoon. They just shrivel up to keep your balls warm. And it's so shriveled up that the, the surface is kind of hardened like uh, and, and, and kind of wrinkly like a um, like fossil. Like when I if I were to go down and grab my ball sack right now, it would feel, oh, this is what the backbone of the T-Rex felt like. You'd feel like that, you know. So it's I'm just nervous is my point. My balls are really shrivelly. My scrotum is. And uh but we'll try to get through this. Um I I just hope I don't shit my pants by the end of this. If my pants are free of shit um by the end of this podcast, we won. The terrorists didn't win. We won, you know. So that's kind of. Um... By the way, why why is it that fucking? So you're in the bathroom, you you're in the bathroom stall, and you you take a shit, and when you know that fecal matter has plunged out of your asshole, you get that first like kind of waft of air from your shit, and it just fucking stings your nostrils, and it's like holy fuck, that's. That was in me. That was... Because it's shit. It smells like shit, you know? Uh, but then it's different farts. With, I, mean, I don't want to smell other people's farts. But my my own farts... Um, it's not bad. It's not... It's not bad. I wouldn't, you know, use it as cologne. But it's not terrible. I, I it's Everyone likes their own brand, you know? But I don't like the smell of my own shit. So what is the difference... Is there like a chemical, fundamental chemical difference between, you know, the air wafting from shit and just pure farts? Or is there some, you know, is it like a density issue is kind of what I'm getting at. Is it that air from shit is because it's just, you know, directly from shit. It's just so fucking concentrated in shit molecules and it just fucking annihilates your nose and then with farts, it's like it's just the right balance between a uh, poop molecule and poop molecule that like it's kind of nice. You know, maybe farts hit that sweet spot, that smelly spot. I don't know. This is my uh, research project for the month. So, if you have any um, farts or um, shit samples you'd like to send over to me, uh, please do so. I live in Kobe, Japan. Um, yeah. So this is a good start to the podcast. And um <laughs> um Yeah, it's just this is this the podcast is gonna be me verbally diarying throughout. So um if you don't like it, good, you're a sane human being. And if you do like it, yeah, please stay uh for the ride. Let me just quickly change my uh earphones 
because I can't hear myself with these. Okay, so uh, the general, uh, well, the first thing I should do is I should kind of give you a general overview of what this podcast is, because it's the first episode, the pilot episode, so to speak. So who am I? I'm Shu. Um, I'm just someone, just just a guy. I don't, you know. I look like everybody in Tokyo Drift, but other than that, it's I'm just, you know, some human. I've been told I look like one actor in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, so just think of one specific actor in Crazy Rich Asians. And put a lot of blackheads on his mole on his nose, and um, uh, that's that's me. Yeah, I'm not an authority on anything. I don't, you know, I don't have a fucking PhD. I'm not an expert in any. I just have ideas in my head, you know, like every fucking. 15 year old stoner i have ideas in my head and um i but but they're all kind of half-baked thoughts yeah and i'd like to give them some coherence some logical you know sturdiness um not just fucking i believe this and then the moment someone challenges me i have no idea what i'm talking about right so this podcast would kind of be a good opportunity for me to organize my thoughts and really dissect what i'm thinking and, uh, you know, have a way to send that out to the world rather than write a fucking essay on it, which I would not be ideal. So, yeah, this podcast really is just a platform for me to give out my opinions and things. That's, that's really, the, really the core of it. And I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to be wrong about shit. You know, I'm going to be cringy. Um, I might only be cringy, but I guess that's the point. Is it's just supposed to be me as as raw as possible, as little editing as possible, you know. Um, believe it or not, this face has not been photoshopped. It's this this I, this is I woke up like this, and um, this is on video too, by the way. For those who are on audio, it's also on YouTube. So if you search up the shoot podcast, it may or may not come up. It may not come up even. So there will be a link in the on the podcast page. But anyways, uh, one thing I do want to work on is uh, Steel Manning. That's kind of the big thing I want to focus on uh, throughout this uh, podcast, which um, it's kind of, you know, the, the, the supposed opposite to straw manning. Straw manning being, you know, you take the shittiest fucking argument uh, against you and you go, well, that's obviously wrong because of this. But no, that doesn't really prove anything. Yeah, the you prove the strength of your argument by um, hitting at the best version of the objection to your argument. So that's kind of what I'm going to try to do to be able to articulate um, the opposing you know, side, so to speak, arguments in a way that that side would agree with. Yeah, that's how I would put it and be able to object to that. And if I can't object to that, if I don't have a strong argument against that, then it shows oh, they're, they're probably right. And so I should change my mind on that. So yeah, it's kind of, I feel like, a good way for me to, you know, really get a grip on the thoughts in my head and really structure my ideas so that I actually believe things 
um, somewhat rationally rather than just uh, it feels right, which is not a good basis for, um, you know, stuff. What? So, okay, the topic today um, that we're going to get into in a bit is about the anima and the animus. What is the anima and animus? That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. But first off, I want to talk about a little guy called Socrates, the uh, the OG. He, um, by the way, we don't know anything about Socrates, really, right? Like other philosophers, like I don't know, you know, uh, Kierkegaard or Nietzsche or, uh, you know, Foucault. Like, we know about them because they were reading the shit that they wrote, right? It's like, I don't know, firsthand? What do you call it? It's, it's they wrote that shit. So, you have a general idea of who this person, but not with Socrates. We have nothing that Socrates wrote. We only have uh, Plato's stories about how Socrates was. So we have no fucking clue who this guy really is. You know, he, he, we think he looks like Santa Claus, but that's about as far as we know, right? And he said some smart shit, but who the fuck? And maybe that was just Plato. We don't know who this guy was. I don't know. Maybe there's some other shit out there because I'm not very informed about this. Maybe there's, you know, other fucking philosophers that have uh, corroborated Plato's um, reports, accounts, and, and maybe there's some historical events, but really we don't know fucking shit about him. And he's the OG. What if he was just a lazy, fat, morbidly obese, lazy fucking stoner who had a foot fetish and now he's the greatest philosopher of all time? What? <laughs> Nothing wrong with being morbidly obese. But it's gross. Okay, so let's talk about um, Socrates. And I want to talk specifically about Socrates' thoughts on love. That sweet, sweet thing that I've never experienced. So let's talk about what Socrates thinks about that. In Plato's Symposium, right, a uh, book by Plato, it's there's a scene where a bunch of dudes are just talking about love. They're like fucking eating dinner and getting drunk. And they're, you know, reminiscing about the time they fondled that 14-year-old boy's scrotum because old dudes used to fuck little boys back in ancient Greece. And Socrates' account of love is kind of, you know, it's the it's the best one, really. And it, it hits it on, on an obvious point, but, uh, you know, we're, even the obvious things are worth reiterating, I think. So this is what he says. He says... Um, I'm paraphrasing, uh, this is from the Book of Life, but he says, really, in essence, that in true love, you see in someone these qualities that you yourself don't have, but desperately want. That's true. We're, we're, we're often attracted to people because we admire them, right? They're living embodiments of our ideal selves. We fall in love with the people we want to be. I definitely find this to be the case for me. You know, I'm, I don't know if this is TMI, but I'm attracted to girls who are confident and don't give a fuck about what people think of them because, most likely, because I give trillions of fucks perpetually about what people think of me. And I am very, you know, unconfident. Everybody experiences some level of um, unconfidence, but 
when I see somebody who just who just is secure in themselves for the most part, and they they are just fucking, they can just be like this. This is me. That's really hot. They have something I feel that I lack, right? Um, the Book of Life, the website. Um, says this. It's I think it's a good quote. It's the underlying fantasy of love, is that by getting close to this person, you can become a little like they are. They can help you grow to your full potential. That's beautiful. L- you know, love makes us more whole. Really, you know, even if the relationship ends and. It's just, it's a fuck the shittiest breakup, the mess, and you hate it. You still come out changed. Knowing things about yourself you did not know uh, prior to the relationship, right? It just fucking changes. It touches you with the fucking core of your being. So, yeah. Um, I like it. I like um, Socrates' idea about we fall for the people that have something that we don't have, you know, that kind of embody what would, we would like to grow into. Yeah. So today's topic kind of goes, you know, um, is in that vein, um, explores what we're attracted to and how that's connected to our internal drive for self-actualization and growth. And uh, the anima and animus concepts we're going to be talking about, they're, well, they're the uh, brain children, is that a word brainchilds? I don't know if brain children's the correct terminology, but okay, I'm ignorant. It, it's by Carl Jung, right? The uh, neo Freudian, is that neo post Freudian psychoanalyst? And uh, I'm not a Jungian. I don't, you know, I'm not an expert on Jung. I just watched a few lectures on him and uh, on YouTube. And read up on, I have a couple books on him, so I read up on that. But that's not, that's about it, right? I'm not some expert. But I like his ideas. Here's one thing to note about uh, Jung. And really, the most of the psychoanalysts more, more broadly, a lot of their ideas are really flawed, yeah? And then they carry a lot of weird, like, just outmoded sexist baggage, you know? Um, like, like penis envy. Freud's idea of penis envy. Penis envy sounds like the parody, you know, a parody of a of a Freudian concept. But he, you know, he felt like girls, girls just wish they had dicks. They 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 want that dick. They want the D so that they could have the D, physically growing from their body. But they don't, and that's the core of all their neuroses. Next time you uh, see a girl react to a dick pic, just know that's uh, envy on their face. So, um, yeah, so it's just, it's just there's a lot of weird shit that comes with it, right? With um, Freudian concepts, psychoanalytic concepts. But the, the really, the reason why we still read up on Freud and Jung and all these people to this day is because the, within all this, you know, surface garbage, there are fundamental truths about who we are and what drives us, right? I I love the idea of the Oedipus complex because I think it applies so uh, well to me. Not that I, you know, not a literal reading of it, right? Like, I don't think I have a repressed desire to fuck my mom, 
Um, but there is the, the general dynamic of being overly attached to my mom, you know, not being able to cut the metaphorical umbilical cord, so to speak, um, is captured by the Oedipus complex and I think very much applies to me. But anyway, that's kind of besides the point. The idea is that uh, today's concepts of the anima and animus are kind of in a similar uh, situation where I don't want you to literally believe in the existence of the anima and animus, but they are very useful concepts um, to help us navigate the, you know, craziness that is our minds. Okay. Now, I want to get to the anima and animus, but just give me one more second because we have to um, address one concept before we get to the anima and animus, and it's called the collective unconscious. It's a Jungian uh, concept, but here, here, here's the idea. So, uh, Jung says that uh, our minds are split to, you know, the, the, the psyche is split into three. The first side being um, consciousness or our conscious selves or egos. You know, the parts of ourselves that we're you know pretty aware of what's going on, what's driving us, our conscious thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Sorry. And um, the other uh, the other section is the unconscious, but he splits that into two. Uh, this one being the personal unconscious, right? The personal unconscious is kind of the part of the unconscious that's kind of individualized. So it's not universal, everybody. The shit that's specific to that person. Like, for instance, I, I guess the example that comes up in my head because I have a sick mind is rape. All right? And not everybody has experienced rape. Clearly, like, I haven't experienced rape. I, I don't know uh, what, what it feels like and uh, what that shit can do to you on a personal level, at least. But some people have. And, you know, it's obviously a very traumatizing experience and you can uh, repress that shit and that can subconsciously be driving much of your behavior, right? But that is individualized. It's not like we all share that experience or know exactly what that feels like. So that would be in the category of the personal unconscious. But the other part of the unconscious is called the collective unconscious. And that's the shit that kind of we all um, kind of share. Uh, it's the stuff that unconsciously shapes all of us. Um, now, clearly, uh, kind of like I mentioned before, there is no, you know, these are old concepts. There is no actual part of the mind, no domain of, you know, your psyche called the collective unconscious. It, 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 it's old. It doesn't apply to us. There's no space or domain in there. Um, so Jung was, in a sense, wrong about that. But it is true that there are unconscious processes that drive our behavior, right? In fact, growth means expanding our self-awareness so that we know more about ourselves. And, you know, we've all met people with big blind spots where, you know, they're acting in ways that's like, dude, you don't know what it's, this is driving you. Like, you're doing this because of this. And they're like, no, I'm not. But it, it, you, as a, you know, observer, a more perhaps objective observer, you can see it clearly. That's what's driving them. And so we all have unconscious things. Nobody fully knows everything that drives them, right? That's impossible. But, um, yeah, so that's the kind of the truth that the idea of the uh, unconscious uh, mind gets at, is that there are unconscious processes that shape or uh, shape our behavior. And so Jung thought that this collective unconscious, you know, space uh, was populated with things called archetypes. Archetypes. And uh, according to him, archetypes are patterns and images 
that are common to all of us, right? So that's kind of broad. But uh, I think if I give you some examples, it'll be a little bit clearer. Um, and Christopher Vogler uh, outlines it in his like film um, story story structure book. He he gives the archetypes and that align with the Jungian archetypes. So, for instance, the hero who embarks on the hero's journey, that'd be maybe the self or the ego, right? Um, the mentor who trains and teaches uh, the hero, that would kind of be, you know, represent your conscience, I guess. Uh, threshold guardians would be the people who are b- basically present obstacles to the hero uh, on his way throughout the journey. So that would kind of represent your anxieties or your neuroses, you know, the things that are internally blocking you from actualizing your potential. Okay, and then there's the shadow, who uh, is essentially the main enemy or antagonist in a movie. And uh, he would, uh, that would represent the part of us that we repress. Um, The, you know, part of us that we don't want to, Confront, And as you can see in, in the movie, usually it has to end by the antagonist and the main character, the hero, uh, going at it one-on-one, right? That's to say, you have to deal with these uh, inner demons that you don't want to face, that that's important for anybody who wants to actually grow and flourish, right? We all have these demons and we all have to face them at one point or another. And, you know, if we don't, the price we pay is a stunted growth and a kind of uh, suffering, and a giving up of our uh, potentialities as human beings. Okay, so, you know, th- these are some archetypes, and they all clearly express parts of our personality, and uh, the anima and animus uh, are also archetypes, you know, uh, in this vein, that represent uh, or that rest in the collective unconscious. So let's get to it, finally. What is the anima and animus? Okay, well, here it is. In every man, there's an unconscious feminine side or aspect called the anima. In every woman, there's an unconscious uh, masculine side or aspect called the animus. Men must integrate their anima into their conscious psyche, allowing themselves to nurture their more feminine qualities. When on women, oh, hello. Women, on the other hand, must integrate their animus into their conscious psyche, allowing them to nurture their more masculine qualities. Okay, so the general idea here is that you know, in a man, they're, they're in the in the man's collective unconscious, there is an anima archetype that represents their feminine, uh, you know, selves or qualities, so to speak. And if that guy wants to grow, uh, he can't just, uh, you know, strengthen his masculine qualities. He, he must also tend to his feminine side, right? That's where growth lies. So he must bring that um, anima archetype into his conscious uh, awareness, right? Uh, and the same with women. You know, they have a animus, which is, in, you know, houses their more masculine uh, qualities. And they have to bring that into the conscious part of themselves in order to grow and become uh, wholer human beings. Now, there are a couple problems here that I want to address. Uh, 
One has to do with gender, but I'll get to that in a bit. The second one is kind of uh, what we talked about before, but this is an old concept, so fuck. The, 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 there is no such thing as the anima or animus archetype sitting in our heads, just resting and chilling and waiting to be, uh, you know, recognized by the ego or something. I mean, these are, it's not a thing. The truth here, though, is that we all have classically masculine and feminine traits like no matter who you are i don't care if you're a guy girl you know whatever your gender or sexual orientation is or your sex is we all have masculine and feminine traits that's the that's a universal thing right and growth means embracing everything that you are as uh, we mentioned previously um it's a holistic acceptance of who you are in each and every moment and so the price you pay for uh, rejecting a part of you. So let's say, you know, you're a guy and you, you know, you're pretty masculine, but you want to be an alpha male or you want to be ultra masculine, right? So you keep uh, strengthening your masculine side, which is fine, you know, go for it. But you may forget or neglect to tend to your feminine qualities. And the price for doing that is stunted growth, as mentioned before. It's you will suffer. You will not flourish and uh, fully be able to recognize every part of yourself. You're going to have a part of you that's blocked, so to speak. And so that's kind of the uh, truth that these anima and animus archetypes get to. But before we expand further, let's kind of hit on that uh, gender trouble that I wanted to address, right? So... I say men have an animus, women have, uh, I'm sorry, men have an anima, women have an animus, and uh, I use terms masculine and feminine, but masculine and feminine doesn't necessarily correspond to man and woman, right? Like, Like men tend to be classically masculine, women tend to be classically feminine, but there are masculine uh, women and feminine men right how do i notice because i am a feminine man this is you know something i've had a lot of shame about and and still do to some degree or another but uh especially back when i was growing up i just was not you know no one looks at me and thinks oh that guy could be the next rock you know i'm just not gonna be wrestling anytime soon you know what i mean and uh that's because so we all have um we generally human beings generally tend to uh lean on one side or the other right we tend to be more masculine than feminine or more feminine than masculine but that doesn't have to um go by your uh your gender right the thing with gender is that uh gender revolves around biological sex right it's it's not um there aren't only two genders. The SJWs are not wrong about that, right? You can be queer or non-binary or, you know, somewhere on the gender spectrum, or maybe there is no spectrum, and that, that's all legitimate. Um, you do you. The problem arises with SJWs when they argue that it's all society. And if, you know, there's no connection between gender and our biology, and that's just not true. Gender is heavily tethered to biological sex, right? That is, I think the word used was, it's not binary, but it's bimodal, right? It revolves around biological sex. It's just the idea that gender differences are entirely 
a product of a culture or society or the patriarchy is uh, mistaken. That's just wrong. We don't have this blank slate when we were born and then society, you know, just fills it up with uh, whatever, you know, social, sexual, uh, gender codes. You know, it's uh, it has it. That's not it, to some degree. It's true, right? We are definitely shaped by these gender codes. And part of progress means um, redefining what it means to be feminine or, you know, women don't have to be just this way. Or, you know, men don't have to be just this way, right? More holistically accepting the all types of people in both genders, right? Or not just both, any gender, right? Um, the other thing to note here is that, like, I'm a feminine guy, but I'm still a guy. So, you know, my, my biology does, clearly the fact that I'm a guy affects my psychology, right? I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to understand what it's like to be a woman in this world. I have you know, male privilege, and I'm driven by things that guys are driven by, even though I would consider myself relatively uh, effeminate, right? Uh, Like, guys tend to be visual when it comes to sexuality, and it's not like women aren't visual, of course, but guys tend to have more of an emphasis, right, generally, um, on visuals than women do when it comes to sexuality, right? Like, that's kind of the difference between, uh, you know, Pornhub and Fifty Shades Grey, right? That's the, there's a, clearly a difference between male sexuality and female sexuality. But I do find that I'm a guy who has more uh, feminine uh, traits. And so maybe for me, the uh, uh, the goal would be not only to accept my feminine side, my feminine qualities, but also bring some more masculine qualities that I may lack or f- find are my weaknesses into, uh, you know, work on those kinds of qualities. So for me, it would kind of be, even though I'm a guy, bringing the ana, uh, animus into my conscious psyche, the masculine part of myself into a greater part of who I am. Okay. Okay, so now that we've kind of had an overview of the what the anima and animus is, uh, let's kind of look at these masculine and feminine qualities that are embedded, are embodied by the anima and animus. Uh you know, credit where credit is due. It's kind of a list I found on YouTube's The Diamond Net, uh, which was great. They had a great video on it. So, um, you know, check it out if you feel like learning more about the Jungian anima and animus. But, uh, okay, so it's kind of uh, like the yin and yang, right? A lot of people say the yin is, uh, you know, your, your feminine side or the feminine energy and uh, yang is the masculine energy. And really the, the truth that yin and yang, this, the, Dao, I guess, uh, hits on is that there are poles to reality, but it's only with the fusion, right? The integration of the, these poles that the system works, right? So you can't just have masculine only or feminine only. Everybody is a, a fusion of the two. All right. So uh, what are some of these differences? And again, classically masculine, classically feminine, right? Everybody has both just because, you know, you're a woman. Uh, and I argue that, you know, the classically masculine qualities are this and this, or you're a man and classically, uh, feminine qualities are this and this. And you're like, no, no, but, but I have that. Yeah. You have all of them and we have weak, you know, some of them are going to be stronger than others. And that's for you to decide, right? Okay. So the classically masculine traits would be doing movement, action oriented, change 
versus the classically feminine qualities, which are more like being, existence, untapped potential, as well as the intricacies of the heart, right? So in a sense, um, the masculine qualities have a more external element. That would be uh, kind of akin to the hero on the hero's journey, whereas um, women have more of an internal element, right? Exploring, uh, you know, it's emotional intelligence, exploring the intricacies of the heart. Um, and that would kind of be uh, equivalent to the version's promise um, as opposed to the hero's journey. But uh, obviously we need both, right? We need to do things and make things happen and actualize our potential. But we can't just actualize our potential or, uh, you know, act, act, act without actually tapping into what's going on inside of us, right? And the two are deeply interlinked, right? Oftentimes, uh, without action, you're not going to be healthy uh, on the inside. And sometimes you can act, act, act all you want, but you're just feeling completely empty and alienated, right? Um A good metaphor for this is that sperm is very about movement and uh but it's 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 short short lived and, and it's tiny yeah the egg you know it's it just sits there and waits right but it's long lasting and the two combined create a fully formed child so you know you can take that metaphor uh, for what you want if you don't like it that's fine it's just a metaphor right um but that kind of gets at something. Another thing, the, the penis is kind of a protruding object, you know, that's kind of externalized. The vagina folds in, right? It's kind of internal. And sex is the fusion of the penis and the vagina, right? The, the two forces going in and out. And the repeated union and separation of these, you know, the sex organs kind of represents the yin and yang. It's the masculine, the feminine fusing together, right? And that's the key to growth is to, you have two poles, right? And and you want to allow both to be part of you. Some other things that um, are listed here, it's like logos would be uh, masculine. So rationality and lo- logic classically masculine eros would be caring love nurturing that's classically feminine obviously we need both other masculine traits are like goal setting enacting an agenda autonomy uh feminine traits are like awareness of the present moment and emotional intelligence unconditional love so yeah all of us have these traits i i gotta say though i definitely relate more to the feminine ones you know like thinking about the present moment or emotional intelligence or you know just focusing on what's going on on the inside i'm i'm very bad at at actually doing things and uh you know i i have all these things i want to do but i i have a hard time i'm so blocked by my neuroses it's hard for me to actually step out of my comfort zone and uh translate my thoughts or feelings or whatever into action but i think I, you know i do think you know deeply about uh, myself and, and 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 what's going on in my mind, and uh, so so I I think I'm my strengths are more on the uh, feminine side, yeah, and so it's going to be important for me to nurture my uh, my weaker uh, sides, the masculine qualities, right? It's important for me to take uh, more initiative and go out there and put myself into unknown regions, um, because that's where growth is. Okay. 
and and see there that growth is it's there either way right it's you you have growth by taking action and put yourself into the unknown you also have growth by looking into yourself and actually uh figuring out the unknown inside of you okay and by the way these male female differences are real and have been shown uh to be real by science uh and again, it's it just can't be a simply a matter of um, sociology, right, or, or or societal effects, right? There there is some biology shaping our personalities, and it's kind of uh, exemplified by the psychometric approach to personality, the Big Five traits, basically, which are openness, to experience, extroversion, conscientiousness, agreeableness, and neuroticism, and so you know. Uh, Gender doesn't have too big an effect on how people uh, score on, on the this personality test, but on the traits of agreeableness and neuroticism, uh, there's kind of a uh, difference there. Women tend to score higher than men on agreeableness and neuroticism. And by the way, I score extremely high on both agreeableness and neuroticism. So yeah, that, that's obviously partly a product of social forces and uh, part of you know uh, the work for uh, uh, minimizing the gender gap is to work on those uh, traits so that women are also able to succeed in a verily in, in a market and society shaped by men yeah um, because being more disagreeable or uh, less uh, overtaken by your emotions as I am constantly uh, wanting to please others and not uh, emotionally stable. So those are important things. And that can help you to be, uh, you know, more economically successful, perhaps, if that's something you're you're wanting to do. That's kind of the, the training that uh, Jordan Peterson uh, has engaged in. And I think it's helped people. Okay, so uh, let's go to the next part, which is why do... We have to fucking care about this. Why am I going on about these Jungian archetypes? Why is this fucking important? Why did I decide to make this the topic of my first podcast? Well, I mean, I I was just, I read up just a, a couple, like a week ago on it. So I was kind of, it was on my mind and I was chewing on it a lot. So I wanted to spit it out. But also it just explains so much of what drives attraction, right? It's related to the point I made earlier in the podcast with Socrates and shit. So Rollo May, this uh, existentialist philosopher, talks about male-female polarity, right? In almost every relationship, there's someone who's more classically masculine and more uh, someone who's more classically feminine. It doesn't matter what the relationship, right, is. And, and this is almost a relationship, right? I'm not saying it's, if there's a relationship where they both seem classically masculine, that's, you know, that's not fucked up or unnatural, that's fine. But most relationships have this polarity, and that's true whether you're, you know, it's a straight couple or a gay couple, right? You, you, you'll see in homosexual couples, some that, that's like the idea of the top and the bottom, right? There's somebody who's more classically masculine, somebody who is more classically feminine. And right, even in heterosexual relationships, it doesn't mean the guy has to be the masculine one. It could be the girl who's the masculine one and the guy who's the feminine one. Like if I was in a relationship, that would probably be the case. I've never been in a relationship, so I have no fucking clue, but I think that would uh, be the case, Yeah. And I would want my partner to be the more classically masculine one because that would be what I'm uh, attracted to. So the animus 
and the anima really highlight how important this male-female polarity is. It's not just what we're simply attracted to. It's a part of growth. Um, Anthony Stevens, in a very short introduction on Jung, uh, puts it like this. The experience of falling in love occurs when one meets a woman or man who appears to be the living embodiment of one's anima or animus. Right? Whoever embodies our anima or, uh, or animus, you know, that's the kind of person we're going to be attracted to. They represent, represent something, you know, express a part of ourselves that we haven't been able to express ourselves. We kind of project our own anima or animus onto them. So in a way, when we are you know, attracted to somebody or falling in love, we're falling in love with a part of ourselves, right? The part of ourselves that we haven't fully expressed yet, that we haven't given time to nurture and embrace. Now this, you know, again, falling for your own anima idea, it's not literally true, but it gets to a core truth, which is that thing that Socrates outlined, right? It's they have something we don't have, or maybe we do have, but we haven't really, you know, uh, embraced it or nurtured it yet, right? So that's the kind of... um, beautiful thing that uh, I think the anima and animus ideas hit on. For instance, I'm attracted to women who very much embody the animus archetype. I don't know if this is TMI, but am I the, I'm the kind of person that says TMI. So uh, if, you, if, if you find this cringy, it's, uh, you should have been warned with the TMI that I used uh, seven times. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm drawn to women who are confident and risk takers, like I mentioned before, who just, you know, who've, who've been through shit, who've, you know, experienced life and they've come out fucking like, you know, bruised sounds fucking wrong, but, you know, they have like a kind of a callus developed, you know, they've been through shit and now they don't give a fuck about, you know, what you think it's fuck. I'm just going to be me, which I think is, you know, Bridget Lundy Payne is kind of like that from from the TV show Atypical. She's so perfect. She just embodies that confidence of kind of, kind of being tomboyish and not giving a fuck and being like, fuck you. You know, I just, I can't do that. And I, that when I see people do that, it's like, whoa. Yeah, because it's because I live in my comfort zone and have trouble taking risks and putting my thoughts and ideas into because of my anxiety but people some people can just fucking they can be heroes who embark on their journeys you know and I'm kind of, I'm always at the beginning of the movie basically I'm the hero who's I'm just like I'm like I actually just won't uh go for it today today's not the day to start the movie it's not I'll, I'll stay here for a couple more weeks yeah so um what am I trying to say here here right Hopefully, if I enter into a relationship with someone classically masculine, that will help me nurture some of those traits. And the hope is, like, conversely, that the woman in the relationship would also, by, you know, presumably she'd be the more classically masculine one. So she'd perhaps, in a relationship with me, be able to get more in touch with her feminine side. Like, I would, she would probably get me out into the world more because I'm perpetually locked in my house but hopefully i would be able to you know uh 
this sounds self-aggrandizing, but expand her emotional intelligence by talking through her feelings with her and just allowing us both to just kind of have no shame about what we talk about. You know, everything's on the table and whatever she's repressed or has blocked or shielded herself from it's I just like, this is a safe space. Just let it all out. And that would be better. So that there's that kind of balance in every relationship that I think is important. Now, there's a kind of a misconception that might uh, emerge here, which is that, oh, so opposites attract. No, not necessarily. I mean, there is a male-female polarity, but it's not necessarily true that opposites attract, right? There, there is some truth there, again, like with all things. There's some truth, which is that if you're two people who are exactly the same, that's going to be a boring fucking relationship. And, and there's likely going to be not much growth going on or stimulation, right? You need difference. You need to balance each other out um, to grow, but, but as outlined by Socrates and this anima animus thing. But when they're too different, it doesn't work either. Like, you know, a relationship between an introvert and extrovert is probably not going to work out, as if, especially if they're like very introverted and very extroverted, right? Like an introvert, it feels fucking like shit in parties and can't, that's when they're comfortable and most content when they're, you know, just chilling at home. And an extrovert, when they're just chilling at home all day, they just, it's fucking choking them and they got to get out, right? And that's where they flourish. So if those are your tendencies and there's nothing wrong with it either, you're going to not be able to uh, have fun together too much, right? Um, so there's there's the degree where you have to, opposites do attract on some level, but uh, you can't be complete opposites. It's it's really, uh, the polarity is important. You want difference, you want balance, but don't go for somebody who's completely so for me, I would probably, I, I say I want a confident, uh, you know, uh, be in a relationship with somebody who's uh, very confident, but that doesn't mean, you know, I want her to be super extroverted and constantly partying because I could not do that. I hate parties. They feel like death in my dick. I just can't survive and my palms get sweaty and my start to fucking breathe like someone with asthma and I start to look like somebody with, you know, cancer. I just, I look and feel terrible. Um, so, yeah, it's not, um, but I, I would probably want her to be introverted, but I would probably want her also to be a bit more outgoing, right? So that would kind of be the balance there. Um, yeah, I just sound like a picky shit face right now, but uh, I hope you got the general idea. Okay, so uh, a couple more things to add, which is that this this anima and animus thing. It's not like, all right, okay, I'll accept. Just just find a girl who's my anima or animus, and boom, I got it. No, no, no. Th these things take time, right? Like the, the, the Jung says, there are stages of development. So, for instance, the anima stages of development for the man would be: at first, you see women as sexual objects, or maybe you're like resentful of uh you know the, the the women power wield over you your sexuality right like that's what you see in these like manosphere um communities like mgtow 
That's I think it's men, men going their own way, right? That's like those. There's a group of guys that uh, they hate that they just decide not to stay near women because society's unfairly made them dependent on them or some shit like that. I'm not. I guess I'm not doing the justice, but it's a pretty stupid community. Incels, right? Involuntarily celibate. Why the fuck won't she sleep with me? That, 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 it's, there's something wrong with her. She's always sleeping with chads. Fucking retard. You know, like... <laughs> so that, you know, that's kind of your... You haven't really developed or um, embraced your anima. Right? Also, pickup artists. There's nothing wrong with pickup itself. In fact, I would encourage it for many people. I think, especially in Japan here, like most people don't take the time or uh, effort, take the risk to go and approach the person they find cute or attractive or that they like, right? Um, but the pickup artist community, a lot of it's just fucking, it's women to, they're like trophies, right? And that's not, they're not human beings anymore. They're just things to make it, it's like, and look how big my dick is. It's so big. Yeah, so... All right, and, and, and so, so as you keep developing on this, you start getting into, you know, romance. You start seeing the beauty in the uh, woman's internal feminine qualities, and eventually you embrace your own femininity. And it's the same thing with the uh, the animus, right, with women, right? In the beginning, uh, you probably like somebody who's pretty, like, physically strong, or, or even if it's not necessarily physically, um, somebody who's adventurous and risk-taking. And that's not bad in itself, right? It, it's... But you don't want to be attracted to just that, right? You want somebody who, okay, like, here's what I'm trying to say. Adventurous and risk-taking is good, but a lot of the time you depend on that person for, you know, they're the masculine guy, they're the man, they lead. And it's like, no, you, you need to also say stuff. It's a relationship. You both want to be an active uh, part of it. You You contribute to it, right? Like, both of you need to... Say what you're feeling, what you want, um, rather than just being led by a guy because that's the guy. No, eventually you begin to embrace your masculine side and speak up more and and uh, be a little bit more assertive, right? And eventually they, it's, you embrace your own masculinity and reintegrate your uh, animus. Yeah. It's kind of similar to the ladder of love. It starts with love of body. And then you go to love of soul and then you go to deeper truths like love of wisdom and love of beauty and shit like that. So that's really um, kind of, uh, yeah, we, 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 you can't just fucking embrace all the growth is not an overnight process, right? It's we can grow every day, but it takes time. And so you want to do your best to embrace all these parts of you, but you shouldn't shit on yourself if you can't fucking, oh, I'm dating. So I should be able to fucking see my... Uh, feminine qualities I, what the fuck is wrong no it's fine it's it takes time it's hard to nurture every part of you we all have strengths and weaknesses there's just one final problem with the anima and animus that's that if you're falling for somebody because they're they embody your anima or your animus you don't really love them for who they are and it's okay in the beginning. Like, sure, she. I don't think it's wrong that I'm attracted to Bridget Lundy Payne because she seems so, you know, uh, confident and hot and all this shit. She's a embodiment of my animus, so to speak. Um, 
But she's not just that, right? Clearly, she's a full human being with her own needs and desires. That's why so many relationships fall apart after the honeymoon phase, right? You have, if it's not the anime animus, it's like you have an, an, an image of this person and you're just fucking feeling this sweet, syrupy infatuation because you have this image. But it's just that. It's just an image. And at one point, you're going to have to, you know, that, that, that sweet feeling is going to dissolve. And you're left with another human being with flaws just like you. Who can be fucking annoying to deal with and won't always live up to your expectations. Who can't be everything for you. Is a human being. You realize that you fell for an idealized image of someone. Not necessarily the person in front of you. But this is where the real depth of the relationship comes. Right? And take it from me. Somebody who's had zero relationship experience. You, uh... You listen to each other, you appreciate each other's unique individuality, you know. You don't just see the the image. You go, okay, 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 fine. I, I was seeing an image. I was kind of, you know, drunk on that um, anima, animus, projection, embodiment, whatever. But I really like this person. And so I don't, it's okay if they don't meet my expectations. And if, if it doesn't work out, that's fine. We're two human beings that had a bit of a mismatch. So you find other people that we might like better. Right? That's where the relationship is tested and either it works out or it deepens. Yeah. What matters is how you help each other grow, how you overcome struggles between the two you know, of you, uh, how you communicate with the irreplaceably unique human being in front of you. That's kind of the core of it, yeah? So the animate animus is good. It's, it's, it brings you to... Realize things about yourself and embrace more of what you are. But at at one point, it's also, you don't want to just see this person as an embodiment of your animus or just an idealized image. You want to see them as a human being. Okay, so that's really today's, uh, my, my, my big little speech on the anima and the animus. Um, as I'm ending this, I feel maybe, uh, the second half wasn't as good as the, as the first half. That's just my fucking, you know, real quick impression of, I, I feel maybe I was a little bit, I start to lose my, uh, um, intensity or, I mean, not that I was intense in the beginning. I don't, I, what? Yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like, as the podcast is ending, I'm just fucking feeling a wave of self-doubt absorb me. So that could be it. Here's the thing. Uh, the final conclusion. Anima and Animus capture the importance of the male-female polarity. It's the importance of embracing everything that you are, right? A holistic approach to growth. So that's kind of um, the main thing I wanted you to uh, take away. It's like, you know how there's that line in um what you call it what's that fucking movie the one with the fucking guy with the ocd and uh whatever i forget that's gonna bother me but um he says you make me want to be a better man to the girl he likes yeah to helen hunt and uh i guess the lesson here with the animan and animus 
is that to become a better man, sometimes that means embracing your inner woman. Yeah, so that's kind of the main message I wanted to get across. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you were able to get something from it or at least feel, you know, have some food for thought. Or maybe it was, you know, at least a somewhat stimulating way to spend your free time. If not, just fucking shit down my throat and cut my foreskin off and poke a couple holes in my scrotum. I won't hate you for it because we are one. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty much it for me. Next week, I think I'll, hmm, I may do, I have a few scripts or um, outlines already written, so... I might be human-robot relationships. I might touch on that. Either that or killing animals for food. I might do that. I might do one trans-dating, too. I don't know. I can't make a decision. Someone can tell me they're going to, you know, fondle my butthole if I don't make a decision. And I will be like, you know what? I'll make a decision and also please fondle my butthole because that sounds very appetizing. All right. That's pretty much it. Um, please have a wonderful rest of your minute and suck penises. <laughs> <laughs>